comfort zone. It upsets our normal activity and behavior. As I'm adding to your upsetment and uncomfortability zone by taking the tape off of this side of the church. Taking the tape off of this side of the church, I know is going to put some people into vapor lock. Some people into vapor lock, however, my brothers and sisters, we have to shake it up a little bit. And so therefore, all are welcome at the table of the Lord. All are welcome for those who are comfortable without spacing, and those who are comfortable spacing, all are allowed to enter into the house of God. And isn't that a wonderful thing? It seems to me, though, that I don't know what's going on up north. I've been far removed from the north, more, the, the, for me, more years living in the south. But you northerners are over the top. You're, very, you're overly panicked over, over what's going on. And Lent, my brothers and sisters, is an opportunity for you and I to remind ourselves of what is most important. This disease, this virus, is not important. We have to be careful. We have to be cautious. But this is not what is all, the life is all about. And as we listen to the media and we listen to what's going on, this is going to last for years. And if we do not recognize and get a hold of ourselves, get ourselves back into the reality of what is most important, which is Jesus Christ, who's the only one who can save us. That, my brothers and sisters, we see very clearly in the book of Genesis. We see in the story of Noah. We see the ending part of Noah's story. Okay, can you just imagine? Here you have this old man, Noah, called by God to build this ark. Now, you and I, we're used to cruise ships. We're used to these big, massive ships out in the water. But we're dealing... Noah is building an ark that is three stories. Have you ever seen ancient fishing vessels? You ever see a canoe? That's what the people are used to. And here you have this man building this monstrosity, this huge edifice. And people are looking at him, they're walking by his backyard, or wherever he was building this, and they're laughing at him. And they're making fun of him. And they're pointing at him. And they're talking about his family. And they're talking about how wacky they all must be. That they're allowing their, their father, their husband, to do this. They haven't put sense into his mind. Yet Noah was a man of God. And Noah was determined to fulfill what God asked of him. Noah did not have any clue of what he was doing, why he was doing it at the beginning. And yet he did it. How different than you and me. You and, I, you and I won't do anything until we know all the facts. What's it going to cost us? How much time is it going to be? What do we have to put into it of ourselves? And then we make a decision. Is it worth it or not? That's not how Noah worked. That's not how the Old Testament prophets worked. They got a command by the Lord, and they did it. Not having a clue why they were doing it, and having to deal with the ridicule doing it. Having to deal with being made fun of, having to be looked at by the world, as wacky packies. Oh my gosh, heaven forbid. We get called, we get called religious fanatics and we go, we, we bury our heads in the sand. Where our life is over. 
Your ways, O Lord, are love and truth to those who keep your covenant. The ways of the Lord is love and truth for those who keep the covenant. So first and foremost, the psalmist reminds us we should not be expecting accolades from the world that doesn't even know the covenant of God, who doesn't even know that God exists. We shouldn't be surprised that they look at us with ridicule, where they think we're wacky packies or we're fanatics. That should be expected and understood. In fact, when they call us that, we should rejoice and be glad. It means we're doing something good. Can you imagine what would have occurred in the plan of God if Noah decided to listen to the people, to listen to the majority of the people around him saying, you're a nut. You've got it all mixed up. I don't know why you're building such a big monstrosity. Can you imagine what would have happened? Well, what would have happened is that we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be here. Because God determined that he was going to recreate he was going to rebuild what he had started at the garden. And so the Ark of the Covenant represents for you and I baptism, because through our baptism, you and I are recreated as children of the Most High God. We are elevated, I tell you this all the time, and it has to sink in, we are elevated from creature, made in the image and likeness of God, to a son and daughter of the Most High God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We become their, his child, his son, his daughter, through the holy waters of baptism. Our lives are transformed at that very moment because God enables us to participate in a unique way in his life, in a unique way which enables you and me to find our trust and our confidence in him alone. But yet we hear in the gospel that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness. The Spirit drove him there. Well, why did the Spirit drive him into the wilderness? Because, my brothers and sisters, what God knows, and Jesus was like us in all things but sin, which is hard to, hard to wrap our brain around it, God wasn't, uh, Jesus wasn't half God, half man. His left side wasn't God, and his right side man. It wasn't, it wasn't like man and humanity and divinity in a blender mixed up together, and some other reality occurs. It is a mystery of our faith to contemplate and to understand how Jesus could be truly God and truly man at the same time. So in God, in Jesus' humanity, he was perfect because he was born without sin, but in his humanity, he suffered all that we suffered in humanity. So he lived in the world, but not of the world. And so in his humanity, he was to be tempted. He was to be tempted to see and to show you and I how we are to deal with temptation. And how we deal with temptation, my brothers and sisters, is what happens in the Gospel today. Going into the wilderness and relying upon the power and the strength of the Word of God. Going into the wilderness. Well, guess what? Where's the closest desert? 
Not around here. Not here in Florida there's no desert. Although when I first moved from New York to Florida and was traveling from this coast to the east coast to the seminary, in my mind, State Road 70 was the desert. When you left the I-75 and went east, when you got to Arcadia, I mean, who would have thought you'd be, you'd be thanking God for Arcadia? Arcadia is a tiny little, I mean, that's like saying you like Brooksville. So when you're, coming from a, when you're coming from a city, and you're used to city life, and you're in barren greenery all over the place, it's, it gets a little bit nerve-wracking. You get a little bit nervous. What happens if you break down? What happened, what's going to happen? How are we going to get help? No one, there, was few, there were a few people back then on those on that road. And then, of course, you have to worry about when you're traveling at night. What when the axe-wielding maniac comes after you? Too much horror movies. But the, you don't have, the point being is that's separate homily. But the, the point being is that there's no real desert. There's no real desert in our life that we can run out to to escape. And so therefore, what we have to do is we have to create for ourselves the wilderness, the desert, that place of solitude, that place of quiet, that place of being alone with the Lord. Because if we're not going to do it, the world's not going to provide for it for us. And the devil loves noise. The devil loves distraction. The devil loves busyness. Because if we're busy, if we're filled with noise, then we're, then we're distracted from hearing the Word of God speak to us. And we cannot hear His voice. Because in the miracle of God's grace, in the miracle of God's grace, God speaks in silence. We have to come to a point of silence to hear the Lord. And so the devil does everything in his power in this world we live in to make it impossible to be without noise unless we make the concentrated effort. And so as you know, as I've been your pastor here for six years, as you know, every year I give a universal penance for us all to take on besides our personal penances, our personal giving ups. And so my, pers my personal challenge to you this year is 15 minutes of silence a day. 15 minutes. I was going to do 30, but I figured that would send us all over the edge. So I'm giving you 15. But uh, when I say 15 minutes of silence, I mean silence with your cell phone locked in another room. Not a silence, but just with you alone. To allow yourself to declutter your mind, to declutter your spirit, and to be able to hear the voice of God that speaks to us in silence. First day you're doing this, you're not going to hear much, most likely. First day you're doing this, your mind is going to be filled with noise. Your mind is going to be racing and thinking. That's why we need the 40 days of Lent, to make it useful, to make it purposeful. The three hallmarks of Lent is prayer, fasting, almsgiving. 
prayer, fasting, and almsgiving of the three hallmarks of Lent and prayer is essential. St. John, John Damascene refers to prayer as the raising of the mind and heart to God. It is the raising, it is the purposefulness of me desiring to enter into a relationship with the Lord. The Lord is always here. The Lord is always there. You know, it's like in a modern culture, if you, well, when you went out to dinner, going out to dinners from an Italian background would horrify me when you'd have a full table of a whole family all looking in their phones. They're right there to talk to each other, but they're talking to their phones. They're doing text messages. They're not communicating. And it's the same way with God. I mean, they're there. They're at the table. They can communicate with each other, but they choose to jump to the phone instead. God is the same way. He's always there. He's with us. He desires to enter into dialogue with us. But we have to also add to the, accept the initiation. And so therefore, silence is that ability for us to make the determination to raise our minds and hearts to God, to actively do something to work on this relationship with God, who is in a covenant with you and me. It takes effort. It takes sacrifice. Now I say, I say take 15 minutes. 15 minutes is going to seem forever. And it's going to require you to set a 15 minutes aside in your day. To consciously think, I need 15 minutes today, when am I going to squeeze it in? When am I going to be able to do it? And then to be faithful to it. I would recommend that you try to do it at the same time every day. That will make it easier and more habitual for you. But you have to do what works best for your situation. There's no right or wrong way to do it except to do it. Because then it also, by doing that 15 minutes, by taking myself out of the game, if you will, and to reflect more and have that quiet, I then make a sacrifice. I then enter into fasting. Fasting from what I normally would be doing that 15 minutes. Fasting from just looking at TikTok or going through the, the, the emails. I'm fasting from that. I'm disciplining myself. Because we were not created as angels. We're not pure spirits. We have a body. And our, body, our bodily discipline of fasting enables you and me to get our spirit and our will under control. And that's why the church encourages us to do that. So my brothers and sisters, we, like Noah, are on a journey. We are on a journey to eternal life. We are on a journey to heaven. And on that journey, as we experience, it's not always a straight road up. Very often, it has detours in our life. And so the church enables us by this, uh, this Lenten season to look and see if we've been detoured. If living in the world has taken so much possession of us that we have gotten sidetracked from God and his covenant with us. And to prayerfully, honestly reflect on that so that you and I can get ourselves back on track. This morning, you and I are privileged because we have our catechumen Paul with us, who is also on a journey. 
a journey which has brought him in his relationship to the Lord here to the Catholic Church. And so in a few moments, we are going to ask him and his sponsor if they feel that he is ready for the Easter sacraments. And you and I, by our prayerful union, are going to elect him, choose him, to come become one of our brothers in uh, one of our brothers this coming Easter vigil, when he will receive the waters of baptism, where he will receive the new life of Christ in that life of grace, and he will begin as a new creation, as a son and daughter of the as a son of the Most High God, which we all experience through our baptism. Awesome, awesome. But, it, but he becomes, for you and I, a visible symbol. Most of us became Catholic at birth. Most of us didn't have a choice. Our parents did it for us. He is a young man who was choosing on his own at this point to enter the church. A church which very often we look at, as cradle Catholics, as just this organization filled with rules and regulations. Woe is me, it's Lent again, I have to give something up. But Lent, but the faith is more than Lent. The faith is more than just giving something up. The faith is growing in a relationship with God. A God who loves us. A God who, as we see in the first reading, saves us. A God who shares with us his own divine life through the sacraments especially holy baptism. <clears throat> so let us pray, my dear friends, for Paul during this journey as he perseveres to the Easter sacraments. Let us pray for you and I as a community of faith that we will use this Lenten season wisely. We will strive to grow in our holiness through the prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and we will work, we will make that effort to grow in our relationship with the Lord, so that you and I can one day be welcomed into the kingdom of heaven in fulfillment, in perfection, in heaven. Jesus tells us this is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is here. You and I participated here on earth imperfectly till we are perfectly united with it in heaven. Let us pray, my dear friends, that on that day, we will find each other there to worship and praise God in spirit and in truth for all eternity. Praise be Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.